Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Building Your Wealth Muscle. On this episode, we continue the six-part series on what is financial planning for fit pros. This is the third step of the process, a six-part episode, but five stages of financial planning. This is step three, asset protection and risk planning. So on this episode, you'll learn how not losing money, what that means outside of investments the four different types of risks that you should be reviewing in your personal and fitness business, and the least popular but arguably most important risk planning that gets overlooked, but in my opinion is the most critical. So I hope you find this valuable. It's an in-depth episode, but enjoy the show. Welcome to Building Your Wealth Muscle podcast about building and protecting wealth for online health and fitness coaches. Each episode, we're going to break down different topics in the areas of business, finance, and tax, and how they pertain to your coaching business. Disclaimer, the topics covered in this podcast are for educational purposes only. This is not advice for your specific situation. Please consult a qualified financial or tax professional before making changes to your financial or tax situation. Now, Here's your host, Certified Financial Planner, Pat Darby. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pat Darby. Welcome back to Building Your Wealth Muscle. As you recall, we're, we're still on a deep dive of a six-part series on what is financial planning specifically for fitness entrepreneurs. And we're walking through, this is more the personal financial planning side. So there's going to be probably more references to what is in common with you and any entrepreneur, let alone fitness. But again, the purpose of these, if you're just starting from this episode and you haven't listened to the prior ones, the purpose is so you can understand what financial planning is since it's a fairly um, obscure term to a lot of people. And since it incorporates a lot, at least I know personally, I struggle to say what it is in under a minute. So this is a, a in-depth exposure to exactly what you would expect if you hired a financial planner, or if you're doing it on your own, the different areas that you should look to cover. So I'll give you a brief recap. Again, if this is your first episode that you're listening, I highly encourage you to go back to the beginning. But uh, so the, the five main areas in the way I interpret financial planning, which I think most people that are certified financial planners look at it this way. So I shouldn't even said my interpretation. But anyway, I digress. So there's Goal setting meeting, that's the first step. The second step is analyzing your current situation. The third part, which we're going to dive into today, is risk planning. The fourth is really what people hire financial advisors, financial planners for, which is allocating the money. That's the fourth step. And again, most sexy. And the fifth one, even though it doesn't feel like a step, it's optimizing everything and reviewing. So if you've listened to the other episodes or if you haven't, Financial planning, just like health and fitness, it's constantly evolving. Life is going to throw things at you. Health thing, and again, just like fitness, like health problems, injuries, you know, just as just the way they can throw off your fitness plan, they'll completely throw off your financial plan as well if they're expensive, if they cause you to lose work or miss opportunities to run your business. Maybe you completely, God forbid, you're unconscious and you literally cannot run your your company because of an injury or an illness. So that's the last phase is optimizing everything you've done, not to mention 
and we'll see it a lot in this episode, some of the things that we have to tackle, it's not just, it's not quick. It's not easy. It's not free. It could be, it could feel like you're turning a battleship. It's going to take a while. So let's dive into that today. Again, this is the third step risk planning. Now we're going to do a pretty in-depth explanation of what this means today. And like I said, it could take a while for people to, to really knock this out. And the reason is twofold. One, this is not what most people want. You know, like if you're doing well in your business and you know you have profits that you're cash flowing, you want to put them to work. Usually, like, all right, I'm at the point where I want to hire a financial expert. You know, I'm probably paying what feels like high taxes. And what do I do with my money? The challenge is, you know, what people don't want to know is like the, the less sexy side is the risk management part. You know, again, when people hear Warren Buffett say his golden rule, like don't lose money, everyone's mind goes to investments. Now, granted, he's an investment guy, so that's very fair. But part of that should also be about wealth protection and the different asset strategies to do so, insurance policies, things like that, that help you avoid losing the hard-earned income and assets that you've built. So we're going to dive into all that today. So let's see. One of the things I want to get out up front, because I even just used it a few seconds ago as one of my examples, is insurance. And again, this is one of the reasons that people don't necessarily enjoy this topic is because I think they feel insurance is what everyone's going to push at them. And that's not that's not really an unreasonable expectation considering insurance is still highly predatory in the financial services industry because it pays fairly high commissions to those that sell it. But I'm here to tell you, insurance is absolutely not the answer to all of your risk problems. It can be a lot of them. I mean, sometimes you can't avoid it, like auto insurance that's required by, I think, every state. But let's just assume every, you know, th that type of transfer of risk is required for most of, well, for a while, health insurance was quote unquote required or you faced a penalty. So, but when we're talking about other things, it's not a requirement, but what you do need to do if you don't want to buy the insurance, which is totally cool, you have to plan for it. For example, some people who are older, their kids are out of college, their home is paid off. They have millions in investments. If they were to pass away in that scenario, do they need a life insurance policy to pay out to their spouse and kids? Financially speaking, the answer is likely no. So someone like that, their life insurance policy would no longer be necessary. So you could stop paying into it or whatever the case may be. You know, one of the things I want to emphasize too is like you could self-fund. So I'll talk more about that a little bit later, but you can self-fund and plan for these things. So I want to get that off the table because I don't want you to think that this entire conversation is a pitch for different types of insurances because I I carry all my insurance licenses and I, I plan to talk about this in a minute, but like I highly encourage people often to self-fund for certain insurance risks. But let's dive into the different risks that that you really need to look at from a high, uh, a high level. I've talked about this before. The first one, and these are in random order, because obviously when you sit down, well, maybe not obvious for everybody, but when you sit down with someone, if they're a professional or you're doing this on your own, these aren't going to have an order because there's something on this list might be causing you to lose sleep 
and the others may not. Again, that's one of the reasons this could take months or years because something might be a top priority today for you to be concerned and something else that your financial professional might be like, oh, this is this is a glaring weakness in your plan. We should tackle it, but you personally just don't care. It's not causing you to lose sleep at night. So like, all right, let's let's deal with this next year or the year after or or never. You know, it doesn't this is obviously your plan. It's a financial professional's job to just see everything, ask you questions, you know, point out the risks. And then again, everyone has their own tolerance for risk. <clears throat> so the first one, at least on my list here, is the emergency fund. I think that's important, especially because I'm talking to fitness entrepreneurs. I'm an entrepreneur myself. Like at any given moment, something could happen, either economic or personal. Again, like if you are, depending on where you are in your business and with your team, God forbid something happened to you and you couldn't, you physically couldn't work, or like, God forbid you're literally unconscious in a hospital, could the bills keep getting paid if your revenue dried up in the business? Or whatever happens again, maybe, maybe they throw another pandemic at us, and you know it reduces your sales and your clients. So the emergency fund is one risk area. And again, so like I said in the beginning, this isn't too sexy because someone might you might walk in the door of some investment firm, be like what do I do with my money? And if the first thing they say is, "Oh, well, you don't have six months of an emergency fund," let's start building that. That might feel pretty boring, but there's advantages to that. Again, like you're trying to avoid the expensive cost of being ill prepared for an emergency. So that's the first risk planning thing that you're going to take into consideration. Again, you can tell that person, I don't care about an emergency fund. If something happened to me, I'd put it on a credit card or my spouse will pay for things from their income or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Like you can have your own plan. That's just the, the one main risk factor that is important to be aware of, or at least check off the box is something you don't want to worry about. The next is reviewing your insurance policies. You may not have any, and that might be a major weakness. Like for instance, I'm just going to give you a, a random list of most common insurance policies like health insurance, life insurance, auto, home, umbrella, business liability, long-term care. These are all the common insurances per se either yourself or your financial professional, you want to review all of them, make sure they're covering you appropriately. You know, I, like I said before, like I'm a big fan of bringing experts in. I hold my insurance licenses and I do that for two reasons. One, because I want to be heavily involved in everything my clients do. And I want to stay sharp in those areas, but I still bring an expert in. I don't have my insurance licenses in what's considered property and casualty, like the home, auto, umbrella, things like that, the business liability. But I bring in experts to help my clients evaluate those things. Again, I'm just in general, you'll hear this throughout all my podcast episodes or my social media. I'm a big fan of the team approach. You know, we can't be experts in everything. And more importantly, we want to bring in specialists, you know, that can look at just health insurance. Again, well, health is probably the perfect example because it's run state by state. When I was living in New Jersey, I did directly sell health insurance. When I got here to Nevada, I stopped because it's like a whole different world of carriers, plants. <clears throat> so I highly recommend people to outsource those to experts, to bring an expert in to help evaluate what's best for you. But that's the first thing, we're not sorry, that's the second thing we're going over in these meetings is looking at are all of these coverages appropriate. And again, 
your life insurance, for instance, we're going to review it. But one of the things we might be looking at is if you're a fitness entrepreneur, you're single, not married, no kids, and your parents are not relying on you financially and neither are siblings. So let's just say hypothetically, no one's relying on you financially. If you were to pass away, obviously people are going to be sad, but financially nobody's impacted. In that assessment, many financial professionals that you would hire would probably be like, oh, you don't need health insurance, or I'm sorry, you don't need life insurance right now. Again, that could all change with life. You know, you could you could get married, you could have kids, whatever, and that that needs to be an, analyzed again because the situation changes. But when you but you want to go through these check boxes with a professional or with yourself to make sure that these problems don't uh, present themselves, or you're walking around with life insurance policy that you need, but it's significantly underfunded. Maybe it's 250k, but you got two kids and a wife that, or a spouse. Let's say I want to be sexist, like a spouse that doesn't work. They take care of the kids. You know, 250k that probably wouldn't be enough, especially depending on where you live in the country. That might have to be significantly higher. But that's the math you need to check out. Same thing with all the other policies. Again, I'm not going to dive into what they are, but you need to have someone who knows what they're doing, analyzing these things and regularly, once a year, once every other year, because things change. I've talked about it. <coughs> I've talked about it recently, like in my social media, while we're dealing with this high inflation environment, that one of the things impacted significantly was the cost to rebuild a home. So for your homeowner's insurance, if the price to rebuild your home has significantly skyrocketed, depending on where you live, is your home insurance coverage still good enough? That's something you should review with an expert. So these are the things that you should always be looking at. Again, these aren't sexy. It's kind of boring. Like you're trying to transfer the risk from yourself. And again, that's why I'm saying it's not just your investments that could cost you money. If God forbid your house burned down and you're underinsured, I mean, that would be a huge hit to your net worth if you have to come out of pocket hundreds of thousands of dollars for the replacement cost. Then you thought you were fully insured. You know, those are the types of things we're trying to get out in front of. So that's the, the first two. The third portion of the risk assessment is protecting your assets. And <laughs> I know I say it's a lot, but I do, I do need to emphasize again, disclaimer, I am not a lawyer this is not legal advice. I'm just telling you the things that you should be looking at from a legal perspective. Again, as financial planners, we're trained to identify these legal situations so that we can bring in an expert. Again, like I talk about the team approach. When it comes to legal work, we really need to have legal professionals on the team or that we can call in when something like this has to be, ha when needs to be put in place when we're protecting assets. So we want to find out as much as possible in this scenario. And then we can bring in the Lord to do two things, double check the strategy that we put together, and then also make it legally binding in your respective state. And I'll tell you this, like this portion of it is potentially where most people glaze over because it's like, oh crap, I got to bring a lawyer in. That's not cheap. But this is where I forget what the saying is. Like if you think if you think an accountant is expensive, try hiring a bad accountant or something like that. I don't know. 
But this is where a good financial planner probably pays for them. I don't know what they're charging you or whatnot, but this is where they could really pay for themselves. Because if when it comes to your legal and tax situation, if they know what they're doing really well, they're going to potentially save you their entire fee. Taxes alone, like I, that's one of the reasons I'm obsessed with taxes because that alone I can show my clients. Like I just paid for my fee for the next three years by these strategies we implemented today. So that's pretty cool. But when it comes to the legal work, when we're building the architecture of your asset protection plan, you know we're doing the basics like explaining the education, like what words mean, what filling out questionnaires, just because a lot of what goes into this portion of it is a simple conversation that you need to have with your close family. So doing that in front of a lawyer that's charging you by the hour for them to educate you on the basics, and then you sit there and think about it in front of them, that could easily run the clock, you know, one, two, three hours and things like that. So do the math on what your financial planner is saving you by giving you this upfront education. Again, we're going to take, you have to take that plan and put it in front of a legal expert and then they can poke holes in it, but you're educated at that point. They can say, oh, this doesn't really work in this state. And this is why this is what we recommend. <laughs> but I can't emphasize that enough that this part of the, the process, when you're talking about pr asset protection strategies, again, I don't think the big firms talk about this very often because again, they want to sell you the insurances and they want to, they don't want to get in trouble for giving legal advice. And again, this is not legal advice, but we help you prepare for your legal conversations with lawyers. Nothing I can do as a financial planner is legally binding when it comes to the asset protection, but we can build the plan. And so again, this, this is a part that you really should take seriously. But let me just dive into what this all means now that I set the groundwork to why you should find it less intimidating. But here, so, oh, as a side note as well, when you are in front of your lawyer, it's another way it's beneficial to have your financial person in this process. Again, assuming they, they're a holistic financial planner, not just the investment guy at the big firm who just wants to tell you what stocks and mutual funds to buy or if they have some active strategy. They're probably not getting into this and you know maybe that's fine with you maybe you just want them to do that strategy and do it well but one of the other things that you know what a lawyer is going to need as you go down these acts of protection rule uh strategies and implementation is they want to know the same thing that we covered in the second meeting it, which was like analyzing your current situation they need to know where everything's located how much it's like the strategies are important you know like the equity in a real estate property that's important to them because it might change the strategy a little bit. So here's some of the things that you're actually going to look at from a risk perspective when it comes to asset protection. Your first one, your business entity. One, do you have one? Um, and two, are you following the rules to protect that corporate veil? And again, as a financial planner, I can't give you legal advice, but I can tell you what's common in most states and then have a lawyer put a bow on it for us for significantly the less time and effort than if you walked in cold, having no clue how LLCs work, how S-Corps work, all of that. And I will also bring up again, like not, this is not a plug for my firm, but just in general, if you are hiring someone to work on your personal finances, they're likely not going to be checking on your, your fitness business's entity. 
because that's really not like their scope. Like they might completely not be allowed to talk about it depending on how big their firm is, or it just might not be something that they have expertise in because they don't deal with business owners. They just deal with people coming in that want advice on what to do with their Roth IRA. So that's totally fine, but just always like anything, you just know what you're dealing with so you can level your expectations and not expect something that they're not offering and vice versa. So let's give a little bit of education on the world of business entities. And this is where the asset protection strategies come in, especially as you grow your net worth, because it'll become more important as you have more assets to protect. So an LLC, what does it do? An LLC protects you from the issues of your business. So if your personal net worth is $5 million because you got rental properties, a very nice home, all these investments, and your fitness business, God forbid something happens, you know, who knows? Let's just make it very exaggerated. Let's say one of your employees punches one of your clients in the face and significantly injures them. Again, obviously that's not anyone listening to this, but that liability would be inside your business. So in theory, if everything was set up properly, that would protect someone from coming after you personally because that happened inside the business and your LLC in theory protects you. Now let's flip the script. It Because an LLC does, is not protected from what you do. So let's say you're out. I live in Vegas. So let's say you're out on the strip, something happens, and you personally punch someone and injure them. That and your fitness, your fitness business is not protected from your actions. So again, there's a two-way street. So if you just go to, a, a, I don't know, let's just say your accountant, for instance, say, I need an LLC for my business. No problem. They probably, a lot of accountants do this. I personally refer to a, a small business attorney because I think people staying in their lane is how we get the best outcome. If you just say, I just need an LLC, most people are like, okay. And to keep your costs down, they're probably not going to ask a ton of questions because it's not necessarily a full legal assessment. So they're like, okay, here's your LLC. Boom. But as you can tell from that example, that LLC is not protected from the actions of you, the owner, personally. It's a one-way street. The LLC protects you from the business. It doesn't protect the business from your personal actions. So that being said, as you're net worth grows, you have to start asking these questions like, what do I need to do to protect my personal assets from me and vice versa? So questions to ask yourself, if something happened to you, if you were sued, is the equity in your home protected? Is the equity in vacation property protected? If so, how? Like, Do you have asset protection strategies for your personal residences? Do you have asset protection strategies for your rental properties? Your IRAs and your retirement vehicles, they have asset protection strategies themselves, but what do you invest in? Do you invest in things like in the stock market and the bond market, things like that? These are going to be fairly simple to go over. You probably don't have to do anything for the most part. But again, this is educational. Don't, don't listen to me saying that and then assume that's the case for you. But let's Let's talk about a scenario where your IRA protection needs to go a step further. What if you do all the self-directing that I've talked about in previous episodes? What if you're buying rental properties inside of your IRAs? If that's the case, 
yes, you're protected. Your IRAs have creditor protections, but what if all of your properties are owned in one giant IRA and one of your tenants is severely injured in in that property? Can they go and sue every property that's owned inside of those that retirement vehicle? Yes or no? These are questions that you need to sit down with a professional and have these conversations. Now, let's say, and again, this is what I'm talking about, like building the architecture. If you sat down with me and said, oh, I own, I self-direct, I buy real estate in my Roth IRA. I said, well, how many? Like, how is it structured? And then I find, come to find you have 10 properties all in one Roth IRA, all with, let's just say, hypothetically, there's no debt. So it's all all equity, excuse me, took a drink there, all equity, we would start the conversation of, okay, you probably need to have some separation inside of on how you're owning these properties inside of these retirement vehicles. I'm not going to get into that strategy now, but again, I couldn't pull the trigger and implement those strategies, but I can help you walk through the process of what it should look like and then get you in front of the, the law firm or the law firm that you like have a conversation like, this is what they're doing. This is what we need to do to protect it. What do you think? And hopefully they agree. And then we start implementing. But these are the questions that you need to be asking yourself. Like, what what am I exposed to? And again, as you can see, like, this is none of this, the last five to six minutes, what we talked about, none of this to do with your investment portfolio for the most part. It's like, or I should say, it has nothing to do with the investments that you're choosing. It's the risks in your life that could, regardless of what the stock market does, these are the risks in your life that could come and take big chunks of your money away that we want to address. And again, we haven't talked about insurance in quite some time. Like There's so much more than to this process than insurance. And unfortunately, insurance typically steers the ship at most financial firms because they want to sell it to you. Like Everything that I'm talking about, referencing legal strategies and like that all involves lawyers. So most financial firms, unless they have law uh, lawyers on staff, they're just outsourcing this saying, okay, you know, we need this done. Uh, the same way most doctors, if, if you mess up your shoulder and need a shoulder surgery versus your foot and you need foot surgery, they're probably not doing it all in house. They probably, okay, you need a foot specialist outsource. It's the same thing. So now here's the, the fourth component of risk that that you want to go over. Again, we did emergency funds, insurance reviews, protecting the assets. Those are the three. Now, the fourth one is arguably, I, I shouldn't say it's the most important, but it's what people probably hate the most. And that's death planning and transferring assets to family. Uh, the, the financial term is estate planning. But honestly, this is the probably the least <laughs> I I get why, but this is probably the least or let me phrase this differently. That's the most avoided topic that I feel like most people want to talk about. Especially younger people, because obviously you're young, you're making money or you're successful, maybe you have young kids, but it's not it's not sexy. It's the opposite of that. It's horrible having these conversations like speaking to your, not necessarily talking to your kids about it, but putting this plan together with your spouse. If you're divorced, it gets way more complicated. 
especially if you're on like your second marriage or third marriage, kids with multiple partners. Again, there's a lot of complexity because what do you want to happen after you pass away? And I don't know. I can't emphasize enough how important this is. I've been doing this 12 years now. And sadly, I have had multiple clients pass. Because again, before I started specializing in fitness people, there's a lot of quote unquote normal people. So executives, retirees. So the age gamut was there. And I still work with a lot of those people went into specializing in fitness. I, it's not my style to ever turn my back on people. Of all, and plus, I really enjoy working with them. But that being said, I've lost a few clients to uh, passing away. And so I've seen the full gamut of the preparedness and the confusion and the onslaught of sadness, confusion, panic, because people didn't have their state plan in order. So it, and some of it can be done really easily. And so let's go over that. Cause again, I really, I don't want to make this doom and gloom, but I also want to emphasize how important it is, especially when you have kids. So one of the main things we're going to look at is beneficiary designations. That's super easy. It's for the most part, I don't think any, I don't think any firms charge you to change this paperwork. So for the, let's call it free. Changing beneficiaries, super critical. Just go on to any retirement account, any insurance account, any annuity that you have and review who the beneficiary is. Maybe it was your parents because you were young, but now you have a, a small child. You have to change the beneficiary. This is, let me step back and give you some, some education on how, how wealth transfer works when you die. Everyone probably knows of like a will where you write down where where, where your money is going to go and your ancillary assets like your car, your jewelry. You put all that in a will. But what you may not know is the will is a secondary document. What is a primary document, and if anyone lawyer out there listening, you might be like, all right, he's technically not using the right jargon and that's fine. But I'm telling you, this is correct information. If I'm using a terminology differently than a lawyer would, then so be it. But this is factually correct, that a will is a secondary document. What I mean by that is you could update your will tomorrow to say, I leave all my worldly possessions to my kid. But your life insurance policy is the name of your ex-girlfriend from five years ago. If you passed away the day after you signed the will, that life insurance policy goes to who's on the beneficiary form, which in that scenario was your ex-girlfriend. Your kid doesn't get it. This has been challenged in court. It, I'm telling you like this, it's super easy to fix and it's super important because that will does not trump the beneficiary document. So those beneficiary documents, they call it a will substitute because you're, you are circumventing probate processes. Again, let me step back. And probate is basically where you go to the court and tell them what the will is, and then they give you permission to start executing on it. When you have a beneficiary designation, it's much simpler. It's much more private. You get the death certificate. You go to the insurance company. You go to the 401k company investment company, whatever it is, you just go and show them the beneficiary document, prove that you're you, 
and then also give them the death certificate. And usually that's, that starts the process and you get your check in however many weeks or whatever. But that's something very simple you can do. Now, beneficiaries designations nowadays can be put on basically anything. You can put it on a bank account. You can put it on your investment accounts. When it's a bank account, they usually call it like a POD, pay on death. Brokerage firms like TD Ameritrade, they call it a TOD, transfer on death. And again, these are all estate planning things you can do tomorrow. Well, if you're listening to this on a Saturday, maybe maybe wait till Monday. But you can do them for free and you can do them yourself. You don't need a lawyer. <clears throat> you don't need a financial person. But these are things you should be checking, especially if you have a life event. You know, you have kids, you got a divorce. Maybe you plan to give everything to a sibling and you change your mind, you know, or now you have kids, whatever. Like these are things you have to change. And or I shouldn't say necessarily change. These are things you have to review. You should be looking at this regularly. Again, when I say regularly, I usually refer to every year and maybe you don't have to do it every year, but regularly. The second thing when we're talking about how things are going to be designated, and again, this also gets back into when you have to get things done properly with a lawyer, they're going to they're going to ask you a lot of questions because they need to know where all your assets are and who you want to have them. When you have small children, again, children that are the age of minority, depending on what age that is in each state, they can't inherit money directly. You need to appoint guardians for them, financial custodians for them. So you as a parent, and you have to have those conversations with a spouse. And I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with a client and I got to give them this. I give my clients, like I think it's an eight or nine page questionnaire. This is going to go in, sit down together and fill it out. That's going to save them hours in front of an attorney because the attorney is going to sit there and say, okay, if something happens to both of you, who takes care of your kids? And I, I can't tell you how many clients like that's not an easy question. And as you sit there and think about that, that may not be an easy question because your closest family members, maybe they're older and you don't think they want to deal with young kids, or maybe they don't live that close. Or maybe like I've had some, like maybe they're in foreign countries, like where your, your wife's or spouse's kids, or parents live or siblings live. Like there's so many things that you need to think about that. Again, you don't want to start to sit there and have those conversations in front of a lawyer because obviously you're on the clock, but these are things you have to think about. And again, that also makes this more uncomfortable. You sit down and have full on conversations about what happens when you die. But you want to, you want, obviously, you want to have these conversations. These are the risks that we're always dealing with. So, again, we're in transferring assets. So, let's say hypothetically you built the estate plan. Now you've, so in a typical estate plan, you're going to have your will. Again, what are you going to do with all your possessions? Uh, you're going to have a healthcare power of attorney, meaning, like the who's going to pull the plug and you want to have also like a regular power of attorney like god for, so let me step back and give you a little more information on that i should probably do it as a podcast on estate planning but so when there's different levels when you are incapacitated or dead so you need a basically a financial power of attorney what that means is that is a person that has authorization to be you like they, they could sell your house out from under you if they're your power of attorney. That's why when people are older, you really need someone you can trust because they work for you as you controlling your entire financial life. And, but that power ends the moment you pass away. So you need, that's when the executor takes over. But, but what you're going to have is 
a financial power of attorney and potentially a health power of attorney. They could obviously be the same people, but these are like the standard documents that an estate attorney is going to give you when you step in there, their office to say, oh, let's plan for passing away. And again, not fun conversation. Now, the last bit of that is a living trust. So often called revocable trust. That's what most people use. And I don't, especially for younger people, because I won't get into the difference between revocable trust or irrevocable trust. Well, maybe I should. Uh, revocable trust basically means it's still all your money. It's just working as another, again, this is a second will substitute works like a beneficiary document. Like you can have all of your, you can have your will say one thing, but the things that are in the trust will circ will start to move based on how the trust is designated. And that's an important distinction. But that brings me to the point that a lot of people need to be aware of when it comes to the risk planning. You sit down in front of your lawyer that could easily cost you thousands of dollars. They, they go, okay, here's your will. Here's your power of attorney. Here's your healthcare power of attorney, uh, healthcare proxy they might have as well, uh, very similar to the health care, uh, health power attorney. And here's your living trust. Now you might be like, perfect. I did what Pat said. I'm done. That was pain. That was maybe that was painful, but either way I did what Pat said. I'm done wrong. The next thing you need to do, and this is what happens in my risk planning meetings is what, what is in the trust because having a trust is useless. It's what you put in the trust. You have to retitle things. So is your home retitled in the name of your trust? Are all your investment accounts retitled in the name of your trust? Because your trust has to own these assets. Otherwise, it doesn't do anything for you. Creating it, it would be like, uh, this is a crabby example. I was going to say, it'd be like buying a, all the home gym equipment, but you never step foot in the gym. It wouldn't do anything for you. This is why you need to sit down and again, regularly have to review these things because you're going to sell assets. You're going to buy assets. And then all of a sudden, five years after you created the trust, if you sat down, you're like, oh, I put everything in it. Five years later, you have you know, things that sit outside the trust again because you didn't even think about it. So here's some things that you should make as a mental checklist of what should be in your trust. Again, your primary residence, your vacation properties, investment properties investment accounts, insurance policies, potentially, like you may want them to pay into the trust, your bank accounts, you could title them in the name of the trust. And again, the trust is cool because it avoids that probate process and two, it's private. So the probate process, again, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not going to get the probate process probably technically correct, but that's a public record. It's court. Everything that happens in the trust one, it's private. And two, what I think is the coolest feature, which I think all my clients find to be the most exciting, is that you make any rule you want inside of the trust and then the lawyer will make it legally binding. So you can decide if you have complexity in your personal life, meaning maybe you have multiple ex-spouses, kids with different spouses, things like that. You can determine, especially when you're younger, let me step back. Like you might have as a fear that, you know, you have this successful fitness business, 
You're doing a great job of buying assets and building wealth. You've got these awesome kids and an awesome spouse. And your biggest fear is that you pass away young. Your wife inherits everything. She remarries. God forbid she passes away. And now all of your money could go flowing to her. And then she might remarry, not think much of it, flow all the money to the new surviving spouse. Again, in that hypothetical scenario, you and your spouse are now dead. And all of your money got transferred to their new spouse. And that person could decide to disinherit your kids. Like that's not an unreasonable scenario, but inside of a trust, you could control that from happening. I'm not going to get into the details of that, but you could prevent that from happening. Whereas like the money could flow to your spouse, but protect it from going somewhere else after that. Again, that's potentially confusing to people, but that's the stuff you should be thinking about, especially when you're young, because it's not unreasonable that someone remarries if they lose their spouse at a young age. So those are the things that, that a trust can help you protect the legacy of the kids that you're scared could get disinherited from your own money. So all the things to put in the trust on, on a letter note, the other things that you can put in the trust, like businesses, things like that. So again, the, the moral of the story is once you have the trust, you have to put your crap in it. You have to title it the right way. Otherwise it sits outside of the trust and then it defaults back to the will. And again, the will might, I mean, the will might be fine. It might be up to date, but for most people, they want things inside the trust because of exactly what we talked about before. You might have very specific instructions on how it works and how you want it to flow. So you want as much of that money and your assets in there. So let me just go and this was a pretty long episode for the depth of the, the content. So for those still listening, I appreciate it. I'll just do a quick recap of, again, these are the risks that come up in your life that obviously, God forbid, we hope you never need any of this stuff, but it's an important part of the financial planning process. One, because of all the different things that could happen to us, but two, it's it's something that I think we often overlook because it's also expensive. Most of the things on this list, it's not like free to, you know, it's not free to have homeowners insurance, not free to have really good health insurance plan. Like all these things, like they're protecting you from bigger financial risks, but they're not free. So if you started off being like, wow, man, I feel like I, I need to hire a financial person because I can't quite seem to figure out where my money's going. Like I need to get a handle on it. I got to get, I got to start saving more. And then the first thing they start talking about is, well, you've got these major risks in your life and you need to cover those. That can be very off-putting, but there's a reason for it. One thing that I forgot to cover when we uh, went over the insurance portion is is something about long-term care. That's a perfect example because the insurance itself can be very expensive and it's, it pays a ton to those who sell it. So always be careful when it, and get a second opinion when it comes to your long-term care. But that's a common one that I love for young people to self-fund for it. That's just my personal opinion because the policies are so damn expensive that if you were just disciplined and take that money and earmark it, for long-term care, I think you can do better by self-funding. And again, that's one of my examples of how like I'm not leading with insurance, like buy insurance with everything. Sometimes like, all right, 
we just have to have the conversation of how we're going to pay for this if it happens to you. You know, if you're 80 years old or 90 years old and all of a sudden you need private intensive care facility, not not the ICU, I'm talking about like long-term care around the clock help. Those are extremely expensive. How are we going to pay for it? Self-funding is an option. So again, like these are the things you need to look at. So that was something I meant to mention before, have it in my notes here. I just use like bullet points and I forgot to bring that part up. But here's the four main things we're talking about when it comes to your risks that you should worry. I shouldn't say worry about. You should check the boxes, plan for them. Even if the plan is to not plan for it till next year, you want to start looking at the risks in your life and how you can reduce them, transfer them to an insurance company or transfer that risk to yourself through self-funding or legal entity protection. But those four that we discussed today, the emergency fund, reviewing your insurance policies that you do have. Again, some of those are ones that you really can't not have like car insurance and things like that. Uh, Protecting your assets. Again, legal entities, are they are they the right ones? Are you protected both inside your business and outside your business? Are, is your business protected from you? Are you protected from your business? And the fourth one was the estate planning, death planning. How are your assets talking talking through? How are the assets going to flow to my spouse, to my kids, to whomever you want your beneficiaries to be? Maybe you want them to flow to your parents. You know, like having all of this conversation and building all of this architecture is something that you should do, in my opinion, before we start building the assets and things like that, because we need to allocate money. That's what we're talking about next week, allocating the money. I don't want to allocate the money to your investments, then turn around and find out we have these big gaping holes that we need to shore up because of X, Y, or Z risks that are really vital for, for you. And then we're like, well, yeah, we were just supposed to the money we were just about to allocate to this, now we need to allocate it to this risk. I like having the risk conversation up front, especially because I think it's it's what people are most inclined to avoid. So I don't want to put it to the end when they might be exhausted from the financial planning process, which again, if you start listening from the beginning, there's a lot here. We're turning a battleship for most people, getting looking at your everything that money touches in your life, a holistic financial planner probably wants to know about. And they should know about it because then they can help you plan for it. So I hope this has been super valuable for you. Again, next week, we're going to dive into the sexy part for most people, like allocating the money, building assets. But as always, if if this is valuable to you, please share it with a friend, like especially anyone in the fitness space that I feel like this industry as a whole, you know, people know what accountants do. People know what lawyers do. I think there's misconception like why do i need a financial person in my life if you found this valuable or if there was something on this risk that a friend of yours is potentially overlooking uh please share it with them i I would really appreciate it but uh thanks and have a great day everyone thank you for joining us this week on building your wealth muscle make sure you visit our website darbyba.com where you can subscribe to the show in itunes spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts while you're at it, if you found value, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us as well. For more information on the topics covered, you can follow Pat on Instagram at PatDarbyBiz. The download from this episode is available in the show notes. And if you want help building your wealth specifically, 
Pat Darby is currently taking private clients. The link to book a call is also in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and have a great day.